Hi, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on Extract, the new Mike Judge movie opening this week. I'm here with Wynn Rosenfeld, which in an exciting development, he's actually the producer of this podcast and Slate's multimedia producer in general, and he's stepped into, onto the other side of the uh, the glass screen today, and the recorder has become the recorded. This so, is so um, true. Yeah. It's good to have you, Wynn. Well, thank you. It's nice to be on, on this side of the door. And I was really surprised and happy to find out that you are a Mike Judge fan, as am I, and were a good person to accompany me to this, because you've seen pretty much his whole movie of, which is not a lot of movies at this point, right? I have. I had a low bar, but I've seen them all, and I, I've, I've liked them all. So if, if you guys out there don't know Mike Judge, he is the creator of Beavis and Butthead back in the 90s. He started out as, a, as an animator and doing the voice work Fire. for that. <laughs> Fire! <laughs> Sorry. I need some TP for my bungle. <laughs> now, you don't want to hear my, my uh, Beavis impersonation, but we are going to hear both their voices in a minute. So Mike just started off, off with, uh, with B&B, and the three movies he's made have been the Beavis and Butthead movie, uh, Office Space, which was a 1999 movie that was a total flop at the time and has become kind of a cult classic since then. Then Idiocracy, a couple years ago, which was a movie that got a horrible, horrible release deal from the studios and was essentially sort of leaked sadly onto one or two theaters and small markets and immediately went to DVD but I think is also kind of on its way to becoming maybe a lesser cult classic and now Office Space so so anybody who's followed his career is sort of excited a Mike Judge movie is, is something of an event in this very you know very minor world of, of cult fandom um and well, let's before we get do get into our plot summary. Maybe now that we've set up who Mike Judge is, let's let his own two creations, Beavis and Butthead, do some of the plot summary because he actually went back and revisited those two characters and made a sort of little promo for his new movie extract, in which Beavis and Butthead uh, summarize it all for you. Let's take a listen. <laughs> in this movie, there's this dude named Bateman who owns a factory that makes vanilla extract. <laughs> Bateman. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Bateman! <laughs> uh, in this first clip, Bateman is pissed off because his wife has been doing it with the pool cleaner. Uh -huh. But the pool yeah. cleaner, like, isn't really a pool cleaner. Okay. He's a gigolo that mm -hmm. Bateman hired because he was messed up and thought that if his wife did this dude, mm -hmm. then he could yeah. do it with this chick named Kunis with really big boobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Kunis isn't really into Bateman. I see. She just wants to meet this other dude that got his nuts knocked off because this lawyer's going to give him a million dollars. And now this gigolo dude won't stop coming over and doing Bateman's wife. <laughs> <laughs> Master Bateman. Check <laughs> <Shut> out. <laughs> All right, so maybe we should embroider a little bit. I mean, Beavis and Butthead, I know, are um, you know, have minds of great acumen, but I think they left out a few things in that summary. So essentially we have uh, Jason Bateman, the protagonist, who runs an extract factory, a flavoring factory. Right, that he it founded. That he founded himself, and is he's sort of a self-made, you know, blue-collar guy um, who's now doing very well for himself. And it's not stated exactly where we are, but it feels to me exactly like the suburban Southwest, which is where I grew up in suburban San Antonio, Texas. Um, and Judge filmed this in California, but he actually lives in Austin. I think a sense of place is really important to kind of establish with this movie because you really do feel like you're sort of in this sun-soaked uh, suburban Absolutely. Southwest somewhere. Um, so. He it could be down factory. the block from the office space office, too. I mean, it could be. It's just one of those sort of generic spaces. Absolutely. Where, yeah, it has uh, that sort of not quite strip mall. It's previous to strip mall, but that sort of 70s industrial feel. For sure. Um, so he runs this factory. And do you want to take the plot summary from there? There's a, there's a big accident on the floor of the factory near the beginning of the movie resulting in. Uh, well, one of the, the, the workers there is involved in an industrial accident where, spoiler alert, he gets hit in the testicles and uh, is no longer able to work. 
Um, Which, as we know from *Idiocracy*, is the one joke that will that will always be a classic on in centuries into the future, right? The uh, hit in the testicles. Of joke. course, it's a, it's an all-time winner. It's the the where YouTube started. Throughout the film, the question of whether or not he's going to file a lawsuit to sue and eventually bankrupt the the company um, uh, hangs uh, uh, heavily in the balance. In the balance, yeah. And then the other side of the the film is also about uh, Jason Bateman, whose home life is equally troubled. He's uh, hasn't. Uh, had sex in months and he's you know very frustrated that his wife played by expertly i think by Kristen wig uh is w- withholding herself from him uh so he concocts a plan uh with the help of his uh stoner bartender slash guru friend played by ben affleck to hire a gigolo to have his wife Kristen wig uh sleep with the gigolo in order to uh, assuage, assuage his, his guilt, guilt i guess about cheating about, himself exactly with mila kunis which given the fact that ben affleck has just slipped him a horse tranquilizer sounds like a good idea at the time. <laughs> yes it does and mila kunis uh, turns out is a big uh, uh, con artist actually and is playing him and playing the the injured worker at the same time and um, and hoping to get in on this million dollar lawsuit that the injured worker is planning to file with gene simmons we should mention as his as his lawyer in a great cameo appearance delightfully smarmy so moreover the 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 gigolo that he ultimately hires poses as a new pool boy uh, in an effort to uh seduce Kristen wig and apparently uh does so very easily and uh they actually start this affair and they he ends up sort of sleeping with his wife not this one time but 15 times and in a great detail he keeps coming back to justin bateman to ask for more money every time he sleeps with her (laughs) all right so that that pretty much covers the plot when you think about it it's actually there's a lot of plot threads going on in this simple little 98 minute movie but let's get to our reactions um I, i think i like the movie a little more than you did i think we were both quite fond of it though no yeah absolutely i mean i think it does a lot of the things that you know, we love in Mike Judge movies. I mean, it's very colorful, uh, uh, supporting cast. Plenty of scenes that are rich with great dialogue. You are taken along by the script. You know, the, it moves pretty quickly. It moves um, nicely. And he paints his his locations and his relationships, I think, in a, in a very crisp, maybe almost cartoon-like uh, relief, which I, I really love. Yeah, there's definitely a cartoonish feel to this universe. It could be an animated universe. And yet it's not terribly broad. It's actually, I mean, a lot of the jokes are quite dry and small and rest on some sort of small turn of character but yeah they're they're cartoonish in the sense that you know the 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 characters' relationships are completely outlandish, and none of these things could ever quite happen. Well, and, and none of the and none of the characters are particularly deep. You know, I mean, it's not you know you're you're you know uh, David Kochner who plays the 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 neighbor does an incredible job. He was in Anchorman and a few other a few other films, and holds the place that uh, Lumberg h- held in a office space of this super annoying guy who is sort of this one note character who is just so hilarious and so funny that the he almost feels animated. Of, the, the neighbor's fantastic, and we haven't talked about him yet. It's this sort of running gag in the movie that's outside of all the plots we just mentioned. The character he reminded me of was Ned Ryerson. You remembered his name, not me, the uh, the guy in Groundhog Day, the insurance salesman, Ned. who keeps popping up to sort of haunt Bill Murray every day with the exact same words and drives him insane. And that's sort of what this neighbor is. Every single time Jason Bateman tries to, tries to peacefully drive home to his subdivision and have sex with his wife, he fails to because he's waylaid by this neighbor who's constantly pestering him about, about meaningless trivia. Um, yeah, uh, you, you had your, what were your negative reactions to the movie? You so, sort of felt like it did disappoint you slightly. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I'm interested in a Mike Judge film, one of the things that I'm interested in is uh, it's a blend of high concept and low concept. I thought Office Space did that in some ways. I mean, even though on, on one level it's just sort of an office comedy about a guy who gets hypnotized and goes nuts. You know, on the other hand, I mean, it's also sort of a skewering of sort of larger corporate culture. And with Idiocracy, I mean, it was also, I think, a very high concept, maybe more 
obviously so, and and perhaps to its to its fault. This movie, I feel like, was um, a little bit slight. You know, that there wasn't the same amount of depth or, or overarching theme that spoke to something sort of larger societal issue the way the, those films did. Well, I'm going to actually, I'm going to take the position, this is my favorite Mike Judge movie. I think it's actually his best one. I think it's his most realized work, although I agree it's more modest in, in scale than either of those two movies, and certainly more than Beavis and Butthead Do America, which is, you know, an right. epic journey. Um but for two reasons. First of all, I think it's his best live protagonist yet. I think since he's been making totally. live action movies, he's not yet found the right protagonist for this sort of hapless, you know, sort of good guy getting beat around by life, Mike Judge character. Ron Livingston in Office Space is the weak link in that movie. He is not strong in that role. He's, he's not an interesting character. He doesn't play it particularly well. I just, that, to me, that always really stands in the way and stands in the way of the romance, which could be really nice with Jennifer Aniston. I just don't like Ron Livingston. And well, see, Luke there, I didn't, in, like, in, I didn't in, like her. Oh, you didn't like Aniston in, I, in Office I, I, No, see, I, I, I thought that her performance was a little bit flat. But, I mean, I think Kristen Wiig, I would have loved to see her in the Jennifer Aniston role in Office Space. I think she would have really creamed it. Yeah, Wiig is super, super well cast in this role. And it's nice to see her playing a romantic lead when she always sort of has to play, you know, the funny, not-so-cute girl on the side. Totally. Um, but to me, that's one of the key Aniston roles. When I try to remember why I like Aniston as an actress and all with all the bad, slick, romantic comedy she makes, I'll think of Office Space and, and uh, The Good Girl and those movies where she's sort of a little bit of a loser schmo. So that's one reason. I think it's his strongest male-leading performance yet. But I also sort of like the the modesty and the um, the closure of this world, the fact that it's just about this little weird world of, of the extract factory, and that's all it's about. It sort of reminded me of an extended King of the Hill episode, and I'm a big fan of that show, too, that just evokes a sense of place so mm-hmm. nicely and tells a modest little story about the kind of people that you don't usually see at the movies. Yeah, that's totally true. Uh, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and then I want to talk to you about Judge versus Apatow and sort of, you know, how you see their, their two styles diverging and converging. Um, so... As our listeners know, um, Slate has a relationship with Audible.com, the leading provider of Audible of audiobooks on the internet. They have, what, 50,000 titles 50, or something 000. like that. So we try to do a recommendation in each spoiler podcast that's sort of loosely thematically related to the, uh, to the movie we're doing. That was sort of hard to find this time. And finally, we ended up free associating Mike Judge, Idiocracy. It's a dystopia, a movie about a futuristic dystopia, 1984. <laughs> and we searched on Audible and found to our delight that they have an, a retro audio, an old audio book of 1984 read by David Niven. It sounds like maybe back in the 60s or something. It's sort of a great crackly quality old recording, and his voice is perfect for it. And we were saying there's just something very fitting about a book that's set in the future being read by someone in the past when 1984 actually was the future. Quickly, you take the secretly bought notebook, the archaic pen point and holder out of the drawer. What you are about to do can mean death. It's not illegal to keep a diary. Nothing is illegal since there are no more laws. But if the thought police find out, it's death. Or at least 25 years in a forced labor camp. You ink the pen and you falter for just a second. A tremor goes through you. I must start. I must mark the paper. April 4th. 1984. But how do I know? How can I be certain that that is 1984? So, yeah, if you want to go check out David Niven reading 1984 or any of the other 50,000 titles, um, the deal with Slate is that you sign up through our page, which is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. You get a free audiobook for signing up, and you get to keep that book even if you decide not to keep your membership. So give it a try. So the last thing I wanted to end with, I mean, it's sort of sad to me how Apatow is now being made so the sort of arbiter of all modern comedy that he must be mentioned in every discussion of any comedy. Yeah. But but we did we did have some things to say after the screening last night that I thought were sort of interesting about how 
that humor world differs from the Mike Judge humor world and how just their aesthetics are completely different. And I wanted you to pick up a little bit on that discussion, if you, if you can remember it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, it's it's sort of refreshing to see a non-Apatow-style comedy film, even even non-Apatow films that are feel like Apatow films a lot lately in, in the comic world. I think, you know, this film, like a lot of judges, um, you know, have to do with the situation themselves. You know, it has to do with the writing. It's a little bit more plot-driven. The comedy comes from what's going on is funny. Like a farce, kind of, right? Yeah, I mean, the for way sure. The way these plots um, sort of interact and, and interleave is is what makes it funny, as opposed to a movie like Knocked Up, for example, which is about a serious situation, an unwanted pregnancy, and then there's sort of this humor, I mean, effective humor a lot of the time, but sort of stuffed into the craft. Right, it like screeches to a halt, and then it's like, and now let's improvise and have some funny stuff here, and then you're going to go back to the Some guys bullshitting plot. on the couch, and then sort of back to the story. Right. It's very satisfying how the the plots sort of come together at the end here, particularly the plot of The Neighbor, which maybe we should even save, even though this is a spoiler special, because it's the the big laugh in the movie, pretty much, how that neighbor plot is resolved. Do you want to spoil it? It's so brilliant. I mean, maybe, I, I mean, I didn't even know we had, a, we, we, we could, if we were to not spoil something in the history of spoiler, this might be the one. Because, okay, let's leave it be. Let's yeah. leave it be. It's perfect as it is. What's unique about that judgy and humor, or at least kind of unusual at this moment in, in film history is is that it doesn't try too hard to be heartwarming i mean it's not a black comedy in which you're supposed mm-hmm. to hate everyone but it doesn't really make any effort to pull at the heartstrings and sort of win us over you know yeah. so so it's a little bit of a it's a it's a world that you have to choose to enter into mike judge from beavis and butthead forward he writes dumb people really well and really pointedly i mean in this movie is rife with dumb people idiocracy is clearly all about dumb people and and the office space is a lot of dumb people too um he doesn't flinch from doing that and thus make some very hilarious characters at the same time though i mean doesn't he have a lot of love for his dumb people even beavis and butthead i mean isn't there something so endearing about them that we really identify with them and and all of their dumbness i think this this happens in this movie too and you know for all you might say that he's meaner spirited than apatow in some ways i think he's less misogynistic and i'm not one of those people who's up on a soapbox saying how misogynistic apatow is but i think his women characters are weaker than his men's and that you know they're judged by really harsh standards sort Mm -hmm. of and I love the fact that Kristen Wiig in this movie really does cheat on her husband. I kept thinking it was a dream sequence or that it was going to turn out to not be true because there was just no way that a character could cheat 15 times on her husband with the pool boy and still sort of end up with a relatively happy ending and they're sort of trying to work it out. Um, but that's exactly what happens. There's a there's a sort of flashback, you know, fake porn sequence where you see him seducing her by the pool. Not graphic at all, though, actually. This is a very sort no, of No, it's a great shot, like movie. a 70s... Uh... Sort of through a Vaseline filter yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I sort of had assumed that that was going to wind up to be in, in Jason Bateman's imagination that it, in fact she had resisted the pool boy. But no, she she totally gets it oh, on with the right. pool boy. And there's something there's something kind of great about that. Yeah. There's a couple other small performances we wanted to just give a shout out to. Um, J.K. Simmons, as always, is great. J.K. Simmons seems to be everywhere lately. I mean, I sort of think that his um, archetypal role is the the. Uh, the editor barking from behind the desk in the Spider-Man movies, yeah. but you sort of see him in every workplace scenario in a movie, and he's great here as the sort of uh, right-hand man of Jason Bateman at the factory who can't remember anyone's name at the factory. <laughs> he calls, calls everyone Dinkus. Dinkus. <laughs> Let's fire Dinkus over there. Uh, so he's great, and then there's a couple lesser-known character actors that I wanted to mention. Um, a guy who I always perk up when I see him and sort of say, who is that guy? And he's very different in every role, is Clifton Collins Jr., who I just saw in... Um, 
in Sunshine Cleaning as the love interest, Amy Adams' love interest. And previously to that, he was Perry Smith in Capote. He was the murderer, mm-hmm. you know, who, who Truman Capote sort of falls in love with in jail in, in Capote. Uh, both roles completely different and very striking. There's something almost sort of method, like a real intensity about him. And he plays the guy who gets one of his balls shot yes. off in the factory accident and, um, and just plays the role really well. And again, just understands that judge humor, I think, perfectly. Yeah. And he's good deep, too. You know, he's got a few different levels. He wants to, he wants to be the right guy. He wants to sort of get there with uh, uh, Mila Kunis at the same time. And, uh, you know, he, you're, you're right. That's in a case of someone who maybe is both uh, is tenderly treated by a judge, too. And it's a, it's a good character. It brings a lot to it. I, if I were to pick a shout out, I would give it to uh, uh, heartthrob Dustin Milligan. He plays the gigolo who is just the dumbest guy in the world. Who literally has to have everything repeated to him three or four times yeah. <laughs> before he understands it. And then still doesn't get it. Half the time people just give up eventually and just try to get rid of him. Um, he's great and uh, his you know he has he falls in love with Kristen Wiig in this sort of sweet moronic way. It's very hard to play that uh, dumb a guy and uh, still be likable and uh, awesome and I, I think he is. Yeah, if you were too dumb you wouldn't you wouldn't get how to play that dumb, right? right. He's got he's got to have something going on. All right, well, just to conclude, um, I wanted to ask a question that we asked each other last night. Do you think that Mike Judge is stuck in the wrong genre and that he, in fact, is not meant to make two-hour feature films? It could be. The criticism I've often had of his films is that they sort of uh, uh, tend to degrade near the end, you know. And this is, that's not the problem in this film, by the way, I would say. But I think you, can't, you could argue that his characters feel very cartoony in a lot of cases. There's a question of do you need really two hours of, my, of Mike Judge plot uh, to enjoy Mike Judge? And, and, and maybe not. I mean, maybe, his, maybe really where his, his natural wheelhouse is is on the uh, smaller screen. Yeah, I think he's kind of a miniaturist, and maybe that's why I like this movie, because it's the most miniature. I think it literally is the shortest you know, of his movies, and it, mm. it condenses a lot into that, that little space of time. I always like that in King of the Hill, too, the way there's, there's an A story and a B story, and they interact in a satisfying way, and then they come together. You know, it's just it's, it's sort of classic. I feel like I'd like to see him freed from, from feature films and just have a, you know, an hour or a half hour per week on TV, but, I mean, that has its own, that's riddled with its own problems as well. For sure. Okay, well, Wynn, thanks so much for going to see the movie with me. No, and, thanks uh, for having me. please join me on a future Slate Spoiler Show. Oh, I would love to. This has been a blast. So our producer and star today, running back and forth between Mike and, and uh, Soundboard, is Wynn Rosenfeld. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.